The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. I mistook Meg for one of my friends. She has the same haircut. I about called her Courtney earlier, so I got the right name this time. So thank you, Meg, for playing this morning. Invite your attention this morning to Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. And uh, before we get started, I, I apologize to the Loy family. I did not introduce Andrea and her daughters. You all just want to wave. Uh, just say hello. I know it's hard to see them. You'll, you'll meet them later. But I, he's not here alone. Many of you have asked that. He has two in the nursery and two back here and one on the way. Uh, in two or three weeks, we're going to have another baby. So uh, that's a, so pray for Blake. It's all girls and him. So uh, uh, you know he needs much grace and much strength of the Lord. And uh, he will call her blessed as she rises, I think is what Proverbs 31 says. So amen to that. Invite your attention to Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. You know, it was uh, just about 10 years ago uh, that, I don't know if you love that show, Antiques Roadshow. I'm showing my old age and my young age, or those pickers that they have on Discovery Channel where they go around, they find little uh, tidbits. This story I'm about to tell you was inspired by that type of situation. The picker uh, actually was a Sotheby's. Many of you know that name. Sotheby's is the famous auction house in New York City, and Sotheby's had found a special, and... uh, Hold that thought. My wife is bringing me water. Yes, thank you, babe. And that will be on the recording. Appreciate that. Thank you. I'm just giving her a hard time. Thank you very much. But there's a lady named Elizabeth Wilson uh, who was intrigued by a small bronze figure that was on sale in England about 10 years ago. And the picture will pop up for you on the screen, and it's, it's very interesting to look at. But this is the figure that was there. It was appraised at about two to $3,000 at the sale she was at, and it had been sitting unnoticed roughly for 40 to 50 years in someone's garden. had moss, all the things that you'd expect after years, and she studied this statue thoroughly and realized it was a, peach, uh, a piece from Dutch sculpture. I'm going to kill this name. Adrian Don Vries, 1556 to 1626, and De Vries was a, uh, a caster of metals that was very rarely used. Usually back in his time period, apparently, if you made a piece, you would make a thousand of them and sell them off. He would only make one of a kind, and that was it. And if you didn't get it, you didn't get it. And Wilson found this piece called the Juggling Man, is what it's called, and pulled it from the sale and placed it in a Sotheby's auction about 10 years ago. Do you know what it went for at auction, just out of curiosity? Take a guess. Someone just take a guess. Who said 10 million? Tina, that's right. You saw my notes. Amen. <laughs> Tina, you cheated. We'll have a talk afterwards. That's right. I know. That's right. No, it was, it was really purchased for over $10 million. Can you believe that? A little piece of something that had moss growing on it for over 10 or 40 years was valued at over $10 million. One of the greatest turnarounds they said at the time from a piece that was worth nothing to something that was worth a lot. And, you know, as I was thinking about Jonah this week, this illustration just really stood out. Like that statue, our perceived value in Christ is often overlooked and underestimated, isn't it? Our true identity is discovered in Christ. Our actual worth is finally realized only in Christ. I love this verse. It's a famous verse. Megan, if you want to throw it up there. 
Galatians 2.20 comes to mind instantly, doesn't it? I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer who that lives? I who live, but who lives in me? Christ lives in me. Religion says my identity is built on being a good person, being religious. But the gospel says my identity is not built on my record or my performance, but on what Christ has done for me. The gospel and being gospel-centered frees us from the relentless pressure, friends, of having to prove ourselves and secure our identity through work, our kids, our social status, or fill-in-the-blank. And Jonah had that happen to him, and we'll get there. So the big idea today is this. Where, do you, where are you going with this, Darren? Are we talking about identity in Christ or salvation? Where are we going? The big idea is simply this. Salvation didn't begin with you or I seeking or deciding to seek God. It began when he chose to seek us. Romans chapter 3 says, there is none who seek after God. No, not one. That's why 10 years ago when the churches had the seeker-sensitive movement, it was kind of a play on words because there's none who seek after God. No, not one. Very interesting. Friends, when a man catches a fish, that's not a big deal, right? A lot of people catch fish these days. But when a fish catches a man, that's a big story. (laughs) However, though that may be a big story, it's certainly not the best story. The best story is not a fish catching a man. The best story is that God is saving men and women like you and me all around the world because he is a sovereign God. And Jonah 2 is all about a story of God's business. God is in the salvation business. And our identity, as we'll see today, is found in Christ. We are often overlooked and underestimated because we fail to find our hope in Christ. Last week, if you weren't here, we have started a study of Jonah. We uh, saw three things from last week that I'll just have Megan put up on the slide for me there. We saw that God has a plan for our lives. Maybe different at times than we would like it to be, but God has a plan for our lives. Secondly, we saw that God is providential. That God will often, and you remember last week, God threw, he hurled a storm at Jonah's way to get his attention. And thankfully, God is persistent in our life. I am so grateful that God is not like my parenting skills sometimes when for the millionth time of saying no Simeon, no Scarlet, he doesn't just let me go. He continues to pursue. And so you'll see three things this morning, I think, from this text that are very vital. Our title today is Salvation is of the Lord. We'll see three things. We will see first off in verse 17, we will be corrected when we sin. We will be corrected when we sin. Second, we should be cut up when we sin. I'll explain what that means in a minute. And third, we should be, can be carried when we sin in the last part of that verse. I said God's business is a salvation business. It's very true. But this story has often caused skeptics to look. We're at that part of the story where people say, did this, Darren, did this really happen? I know it happens in Branson where the big fish swallows Jonah, if you've seen the Jonah thing in Branson. But Darren, did this really actually happen? Well, I heard the story of a preacher who had brought a message on Jonah and following the message, A young man came up, a critic, and said, how do you know it was a whale pastor or fish or whatever that swallowed Jonah? And the preacher responded, I don't, but when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him. And the critic, with a sense of kind of sarcasm, said, well, what if Jonah isn't in heaven? The preacher then responded, well, then you can ask him. And so (laughs) take that for what it is. That's a bad preacher joke. But friends, could Jonah have been swallowed by a great fish and survived? I believe the answer to that question is unresoundingly yes. Yes. First of all, Matthew 12, 40 and 41 teaches that Jesus believed it. And friends, quite frankly, that settles it for me. We don't live on blind faith, but we do trust the words of Jesus himself, don't we? He's God himself. We should believe that. 
Secondly, Luke 1.37, though referring to Christ's birth, says, With God, all things are possible. I can give you historical accounts from the Mariner days of the 1700s where men fell overboard and were, they, would, they would kill whales and they would fall out. I mean, these things have been documented on various things, various platforms. But our God is a miracle-working God. He is a God that makes things possible all the time. I mean, think about the birth of a baby. Andrea Lloyd's going to have a baby. If you've seen the birth of a baby, what a miracle that is. It's weird to think about. I tell my wife when she was pregnant, you, you know you have a human growing inside of you? I mean, it sounds dumb, doesn't it? But isn't that a miracle of life? You see, our belief in the historical nature of this experience we're about to read does not rest on scientific observation, but it rests on theological conviction. Is there a God? What does he do? What is he like? Has he made himself known? Does he have all power? Is he therefore capable of miracles? And friends, to those who've embraced these truths and met the God of the Bible, and most of you here have, you have experienced the resurrection power of the Son of God that can appoint a fish to swallow Jonah, then is not a problem at all. I hope you see that connection. God is a God of salvation. He is in the saving business, and he saved us from our sins. And in this account, we're going to find him saving Jonah from the sea. So with that, if you'll join me in standing for God's word, we're going to read this together. We're on page 774, I believe. Nick, thank you. If you're in the blue Bible, 774, if you have your own Bible. We'll be in Jonah chapter 1, 17 through the end of verse uh, chapter 2. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version today. The word of the Lord. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I call, called out to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. And out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head, and at the root of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. Friends, let me just stop there and say that is a picture of every Christian that God has done. Oh, Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Get that picture in your head for a couple minutes. <laughs> Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's go before him today as we start our, our, our sermon. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for Blake and his family. We pray for your will to be done today. But Lord, especially as we study, we pray that this uh, story from Jonah, a true historical account from Jonah, would speak to our lives. Father, it's not my words, but your words that we need. It's not my energy, but it's your spirits working in our hearts that we need. Father, we need your presence more than ever. Thank you that you're with us. We pray for wisdom this morning. If there's any among us that don't know Christ, may your spirit enliven them, quicken them, and bring them unto Christ. For those with Christ, Lord, may, they, may we grow to know you better, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
Jonah. How many of y'all went home and read all of Jonah? I'm just curious. Someone said they did this. Anyone else read through the book of Jonah this week because you were curious? Or watch the Jonah VeggieTales movie? I think I heard that from Tara and a few others this week. Uh, it's all there. But friends, I, I think this is a great book to study because if you've noticed, this is it's not part of the notes, but as you've noticed, we started in Philippians, New Testament. We're flipping over to Jonah, Old Testament. We're going to see that flip back and forth because you and I both need the diet of God's word at all times. So with that, let's get into it. Verse 17, we see that first we will be corrected when we sin. Now, the Lord had prepared a great fish for Jonah. We know this. What type of fish? Friends, you can debate that till the cows come home because the commentators debate that till the cows come home. But he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And if you notice verse 17 here, it says that the Lord appointed or ordained or commanded. And it's, it's often, I don't know if you've heard this before from pastors, but it's often a misconception that this was sent to punish Jonah for some reason. However, if you read the text closely, you discover the fish wasn't sent just for his uh, you know, punishment. It was sent for his salvation. I mean, think about this. Last week, what happened to Jonah? He was thrown overboard. What, he was in the water. He was in the danger of drowning. So God sends him a yellow-finned cab, so to speak, to rescue his rebellious prophet from the very ones that he was supposed to go and talk to to begin with. And the prayer in chapter 2 reveals Jonah's gratitude for the provision of the great fish and his rescue from drowning. You say, you know, Pastor, I just, I don't know about this. I mean, God is, isn't he disciplining him here? Yes, he is. But you need to know something, and I need to know something about the Lord. God is not just a doting grandfather in heaven if you know him. Hebrews 12 says this. My son, or with Proverbs, it says, My son, do not despise the discipline of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. But if you are without discipline, the Bible says, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons or daughters of God, basically. So our text reveals two things here at the first point. First, God prepares our correction or our discipline. If you go back to verse one, you'll, or chapter 1, verses 14 and 16, you'll say, it says, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. Jonah recognized that the sailors we talked about last week were an instrument in God's hands. But God was the author of Jonah's discipline. God prepared precisely what had to be done and would be done to the rebellious prophet. The discipline was that he was to be thrown into sea. This is what a lot of people have today, that near-death experience, whatever that may mean. This is kind of Jonah's way of doing that. But God is a good heavenly father. Friends, we've heard that phrase, haven't we? God is good all the time, and all the time God is. He's good, right? But he will discipline his children, not out of spite, but out of love. And as he prepares the way for salvation, he likewise prepares the way for our restoration when we sin. God prepares our discipline. And I think the first lesson, faith, practical faith lesson I can give you is this. Is those without God's Discipline are spiritual orphans. What do I mean by that? I simply mean this. It's one of the greatest assurances that you are a Christian is that you have fatherly, you have the fatherly discipline of God by which he proves his love for you. As a good father, God wishes to be gentle in his discipline. But if he can speak the word and respond, that's what he'll do. He'll speak it into our lives. But however, sometimes, like in the case of Jonah, it's necessary for him to go to more severe measures. Then God will do that because God is committed to his children. 
Friend C.J. Mahaney, one of the more modern-day preachers, popular preachers, said this to say, and I think it's very profound. He said, I should be more perplexed by God's blessings than by God's discipline of me. A lot of people, when they sin, they are under the, the, the discipline of God. They just say, God, I, why did I deserve this? Friends, we deserve that as an evidence of grace of God's work in our lives. If a person runs for years and says they're a Christian and there is no apparent evidence or fruit in their lives that God is drawing them back in discipline to convict them of their sin, it may very well be they did not know Jesus Christ. Friends, we believe you were saved how many times? One time. You are saved for one time. But the evidence that you are saved is that God teaches, reproves, corrects, trains, and disciplines you in your life. That's why as a church, we do practice and believe in biblical church discipline. This is not the pastor getting a big paddle, having you stand up here and giving you 40 slashes. It's not what we're talking about. Though in some churches, I'm sure that has probably been done or attempted. Church membership without discipline. Being a church member here without discipline is like buying a car that has an accelerator and no brakes. The church is made up of people who are repenting of their sin, like Jonah is here. Discipline is for people who claim to be repenting, but don't. Church discipline is when someone claims Christ, and there's a public or even a private sin, and they walk in that sin, and one person goes to them, and they don't want to talk to them. So the Bible says, what do you do? You take how many with you? Two or three, and you go to them. And that person says, no, 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 I'm, I'm fine, I'm doing well. And then it goes before the church. And then before the church, it possibly could lead to a, a time of cooling off, a dismissal of membership. And that's a very serious thing. We don't take that lightly. But friends, biblical church discipline, just like it did in Jonah's life, reveals how much he loves us. That for taking away sin, for fighting sin, he wants to keep ourselves from ourselves so that we can glorify him. We do not practice church discipline here lightly. We do not practice it here vindictively. But we do practice it because it's something repeatedly that's told to us in the scriptures. So I think God prepares us our correction. There's a whole sermon on that. We don't have time to go into all the ins and outs of it. But I want you to know as a church we do practice that because it is biblical. Second thing I want you to see, God prepares our correction, but God is more, he's also precise with our correction. Remember, this word here in verse 17, it goes back. It says it was God that determined that Jonah would be cast into the sea. Remember, it's God who sent the storm. It's God who sent the, 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 the whale. It's God who sent all these things along the way, and God is bringing his prophet to bear. Now, is this three days and three nights? Is this an actual three days and three nights? The Hebrew here, for any, it, it really means any part of a whole. It, it could have been three days, three nights. We take it literally because this is a picture of who? It's a picture of Christ. And how long was Christ? It was three days, three nights, and from Friday to Sunday. But it's God who would determine that Jonah would have a near-death experience. Friends, God is loving, but sometimes, and we've said this so many times, don't buy the TV preachers that tell you it's all a happy-go-lucky life. You'll never have trouble if you just believe enough. Friends, Jonah believed the God, and God sent him on a mission to go and glorify him in one of the hardest parts. And because of that, God is doing this in discipline precisely. That's why I think the second application point for you today is simply this. Every gospel-centered sermon is an act of church discipline. You see, because God will sometimes tap us on the leg. He'll sometimes speak the word. A brother or sister will come to us and say, brother, sister, walk away from sin. Sometimes he'll tap us on the leg, put his arms around us. But if necessary, he will use the very instructive nerve and hold. And yes, if necessary, even put us flat on our backs 
in the belly of a great fish in order to get our attention. Friends, God takes sin very seriously because he's a holy God, and he will discipline us. He prepares it. He does it precisely. You know, I think of that old comic, Dennis the Menace. Uh, many of you have seen this picture before of Dennis the Menace. Uh, you know, the movie, and this is one of his famous quotes, I think, that is so true of what most Christians think today. While he was sitting in a quarter, Dennis the Menace could have be overheard mumbling. I hit a home run, and all mom could think about was that dumb, old, broken window. I hated that window anyway. Isn't that how we view it most times when God comes to us? Well, God, you just don't know my intent. You didn't know my heart. Friends, he knows us outwards and inwards. Yes, he knows our heart. Friend, if you're in sin today, you need to repent and trust the Savior. Even if you're a Christian, preach the gospel to yourself every day. A man or a church who says he must increase, like John the Baptist said about Christ, is unlikely to abuse authority. And we pray that's what we have here at Tower View. I'm going to read a verse we read last night at the men's dinner. Grateful for the men, the deacons who put this on. Proverbs 12:1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Yikes. Friends, if you want to be smart with the Lord, is the Lord showing you some sin in your life? Maybe it's private. Maybe it's something you need to take to your spouse and say, honey, I've been do thinking doing this. I, I don't know. Maybe it's something you need to take to someone else in this church, but would you pray for that wisdom? I hope you don't get swallowed by fish. I really do. But I pray that whatever God has for you, that you respond in obedience and not in rebellion like Jonah did initially. That's the first point. Let's move on to the second point. Not only does God correct us when we sin, but we should be cut up or distressed when we sin. Look back at chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Let's read those again. Jonah says this. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you, God, cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. And all whose waves, guys? All God's waves and billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet shall I again look at your temple from your holy temple. The waters closed in around me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me. Weeds wrapped about my head. At the root of the mountains I went to the land, whose bars closed upon me. Yet you brought my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. If you remember last week, do you remember that whole episode in chapter 1? Did Jonah, How many times did Jonah pray last week? Not all right. He didn't pray at all. It only took a fish to swallow Jonah for him to finally learn to pray. That's a significant turn, friends, in this book. Although Jonah had been encountered and encouraged to pray by the pagan sailors before, we know we have no recorded prayer of Jonah till this spot right here. And it's significant that Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. This is literally, God, he is evoking, he is saying the, the covenantal name of God is Yahweh. It's not just a God far off, this is the God. And the prayer itself is filled with prayers that sound like the Psalms. Many of you have read the Psalms, they sound like the Psalms. But again, Jonah's problem was not a head problem. Jonah had all the knowledge, he was a successful prophet in his hometown. What was his problem? His problem was a heart problem. Jonah knew the word, and at this time when he was experiencing distress, his heart and his mind are led again to that instruction that he knew. And friends, it is often in the deepest times of your life where your theology is either true or it's not. When you are facing life's hardest times, that's when whether you have truly just had the head knowledge of what you say you believe comes to life or it doesn't. Because that is when everything comes out. 
And it should grieve us that we have offended a holy God, but we should remember that His grace is that if you have heard the word of the Lord, that is always before you. Pray as you go that this would be true to you. So what is this? How should we be cut up with our sin? Two quick things. First in verses 1 and 2, we should cry out and God will hear us. We should cry out and God will hear us. I don't know if you've noticed this, but do you notice that word I there repeatedly in verses 1 through 6? In this prayer that's in verses 1 through 9, the word I or personal pronoun my is used over 25 times. The, twice in verse 2, the Bible says Jonah cried out. He cried out because he was in distress. He cried out because he was literally in the belly of a fish. We don't know all that he said outside of what's recorded here, but this is the crux of the prayer. And how many of your Bibles have in verse 2 the word Sheol? Does anyone have that verse? I, I think most of you all do. Uh, someone asked me actually this morning in passing, what does that word mean? It's a good question. That word basically is the place of the dead. It's used in a number of ways in the Old Testament. I just want to take a moment to describe those. Amos talks about it being located under the earth. Psalm 88, Isaiah 38 talk about it, a place of separation from God. Psalm 139 is a place that God has access to. But often it's a reference to the grave. And for Jonah, it's a reference to being almost dead. To cry from the belly of Sheol meant he was to cry from death, from hell, so to speak, from the grave. And that made me think about this week. How does this apply to us? You know, I think the application point is this, folks. Why do we cry more over our troubles than our sin? Do you ever think about that in your life? Our sin is so great. Even as your pastor, my sin is so great, but God's grace is greater than my sin. But why do we cry more over God? Why did you send this when he's trying to deal what he's dealing with Jonah right now? He wants the heart to be satisfied more than anything else. Sin is not a mistake. A mistake is taking the wrong exit on a highway, but sin is a treason against the holy God. Sin always wants to be our identity. But as the Puritans say, those old dead guys I haven't quoted in a while, they said it this way, and this, you can put this on your Facebook or Twitter. It's very tweetable. It's very easy. Put it on your bumper sticker. Kill sin before it kills you. Kill sin before it kills you. Jonah, his life was spent. He was at the end. He cried out, God answered, and, and, and God heard him. I think 1 John 1, 9 was kind of in view here. If you confess your sin, he is what? He is faithful and just to do what, congregation? To forgive your sin and cleanse you from some unrighteousness? No, from all unrighteousness. Friends, what a gracious God we have that when we cry out, even at the brink of death concerning our sin, the Bible teaches that our God is a gracious God and he will hear our prayer. Are you grateful for the God in that circumstance? I pray you are. Secondly, I want you to see that count the cost and God will help you. Count the costs and God will help you. In verses 3 through 6, Jonah speaks of utter helplessness. I don't know if you caught that. He said, the waves, the billows passed over me. I was driven. The, the waters closed over me. The weeds were wrapped around me. I grew up in a small town north of here, Plattsburgh. I've said that the last few weeks. And I hated that algae. My dad, if I got a fish caught in the algae, that's gross, man. I'm sorry. If you're a fisherman and you like algae, more power to you. But that is nasty stuff. He is clothed in this stuff, the best we know. He's in a bad spot. He's been cast into the deep and to the heart of the sea, and the waters have surrounded him. Verse 4, he's been cast out of the very sight of God. Verse 5, the waters have surrounded him even to his soul. The weeds are wrapped around his head. I don't, guys, I don't know. Give that picture. Isn't that nasty? You guys know what I'm talking about. It's a nasty thought. Jonah has been entombed by the sea. 
He was about to step into the underworld, which he would never escape. Down, down, down he goes, and down he went as a rebellious prophet. He was, went, remember this word down was important last week. He went down to Joppa. He went down to the ship, and now he's down in the sea, and he's sinking. He's helpless. He's, he's hopeless. Friends, that's the effect of sin, isn't it? Sin exacts that same toll, heavy toll. It's a cruel taskmaster sin is. We may play for a time, but we can be assured that we will pay for our sins someday. Galatians 6 teaches us, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he also what? Also reaps. And it's interesting to note in verse 4 that Jonah says that he had been out of God's sight. That was what he thought according to Jonah 1.3. Remember? He just decided he knew he was running away from the Lord. He had no qualms with that. God, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm going here. I'm going to Tarshish. That word I told you to repeat five times fast, Tarshish, 2,000 miles away. But as Jonah contemplated the cost of his sin, he again discovered the marvelous grace of God. In verse 4, he talks about the holy temple. It's where God resided. In verse 6, he notes that God had brought his life out of the pit. Friends, the application here is simply this. John Owen, if you ever want a head-turning read, read this guy. He'll blow your mind. Old dead guy. He said in the application point, my goal is God himself. At any cost, dear Lord, by any road. Boy, that's not going to preach on TBN, guys, with respect to TBN. That's not going to preach in most churches today. Are you willing to say, am I willing to say, is our church willing to say, Lord, our goal is yourself. Whatever that means, dear Lord, bring it because we want more of you than we want of whatever else it could be. When Jonah counted the cost of his sin, he discovered instead of the mercy, he discovered indeed the merciful hand of God. God helps those who turn from their sin. God helps those who acknowledge their sin before him. And God had laid him out, put him on his back, so to speak, and got his attention. But Jonah looked to God and he discovered that God was looking at him. And friends, we should be distressed when we sin. I hope you should be. You should be. But cry out to God. He will hear and count the cost because God will help. You know, I can, this great movie that I love that I think is a great illustration of this. Uh, how many of you have seen the movie um, uh, The Blind Side, one of the Christian movies that came out a few years ago? You know this is a true story. Lover or hater, Sandra Bullock won the 2010 Best Actress Award through this for her portrayal of Leah Antui. The sensational film chronicled this Christian family who was uh, basically taking in a homeless young man, this young man right here, and gave him a chance to reach his God-given potential. And Michael Orr not only dodged the hopelessness that he was in, but he eventually got drafted by the uh, Ravens. Wasn't it Baltimore Ravens? John, my football guy? Novice, yes, Ravens, thank you. And he spoke, the family spoke a few years ago at a fundraiser, and they noted the transformation that picking up Michael from the side of the road one night did to their family. And when they spotted Michael walking along on a cold November morning, the movie said it was night, it was actually morning, in shirts and a, shorts and a t-shirt, Leanne Tui, who was played by Sandra Bullock, actually in real life, turned to her husband and said, turn around. And he went on to say that they turned the car around and put Michael in their warm vehicle and ultimately adopted him in their family. But th they went on to say at this banquet that those two words changed their life. Turn around. Friends, those two words saved a young man from whatever could have come of him. How much more? If you are here today and you're a Christian and you have been fighting a sin that God has shown you time and time again, there is still hope for you, Christian. There is still hope for you to cry out just like this, this, this earthly illustration is to say, turn around. 
When we turn around, we change the direction and begin an exciting new journey with Christ. Some may need to make an about face concerning their disbelief. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, please hear me clearly. We love you. We're so glad you're here. But the greatest thing you need is to know Jesus Christ. But if you're here today and you are a Christian, then, friend, you may need to hear that you need to turn around. Maybe no one knows about your sin. Maybe, no, maybe you think you've gotten away with it, whatever it is. But a great story of wonderful change in your life could be simply this. Father, help me turn around by your grace in repentance today. Friends, that is the prayer of what Jonah did. He finally, finally got the message to turn around. Last point is this. Not only will we be corrected in our sin, we will be cut up or should be cut up when we sin. But I think the third thing you see here is that we can be carried when we sin. Look back at verses 6 through 10, if you will, with me. Start in verse 7, actually. Jonah says, when my life was fainting away, and I, I remembered, Lord, you, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay, because why? Salvation belongs to the Lord. Friends, why was Jonah swallowed by the great fish? At least four reasons. He was saved physically from drowning. I think that's one thing you clearly see. There was transportation to Nineveh. Carlos, where are you? Carlos, we talked about this in the men's prayer group this morning. Carlos said, wasn't Nineveh 500 miles or so and, and away from where he should have been? Yes. Guys, God spits him out on the land, and Jonah has to walk 500 miles that way. God wasn't done with Jonah just because he spit him out. It was an education from God this whole time. From the moment he said, turn around, Lord, turn me around, he was recommissioned by God to go and do the work he was supposed to do. When Jonah confessed his sin, there was a cleansing that happened to him, just like anyone can have when they come to Christ. So, friends, I think the first thing you see here is that rescue from sin is a spiritual matter. Rescue from sin is a spiritual matter is the first sub-point. The God whom Jonah thought had banished had reached down and pulled him out of the depth and despair somewhere in the Mediterranean Sea. We don't know where, but somewhere. And it's accurate to call Jonah the Old Testament prodigal. You remember the other story, right? The New Testament prodigal, how he left and his father welcomed him back. But just like that prodigal son in the New Testament, when he came to his senses, Jonah returned to his father, and his father was waiting for him. Guys, I don't know about you. We talk so much about terrorism in this world, but do you realize that we are the only religion that you can come to a million times a million times to a gracious God, and he will accept you, not without consequence for your sin, but accept you because you've been accepted by another, his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's what we believe. But first, we must remember the Lord, our Savior. Look back at verses 6 and 7. Just go over these in detail. These verses are, are very uplifting, and they focus on the salvation of the Lord. You see him say in verse 6, he says, uh, he says, you brought me up from the life of the pit. Verse 7, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered you, and my prayer went to you. Jonah has been in this belly of the fish for a long time, literally, historically. He's now aware of the fact that he will not die. God is a God of second chances, a million second chances. And with prayer and thanksgiving, he looks to God and he remembers the Lord. And, and look at verse 8. This is very interesting. If you look at verse 8, it says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. 
You remember last week, if you were here, we talked about the sailors who were these pagan, non-God-fearing people. Jonah was being preached to them as he should have been preaching to them. And yet he points out in verse 8 that the gods of this world are nothing more than worthless idols. It took Jonah disobeying and seeing people that should not have gotten it, get it, so that he could be reassured in it, if that makes sense. Friends, that's why this world is passing away. You know, so much, uh, you know, Natalie and I are, are in our, our early to mid-30s, and we're starting to think of retirement. I know that sounds funny. Uh, you know, many of you are doing this now or have done this, uh, and it's just weird to think about because we're just, we're just starting our family, really, and we're talking about retirement. You know, how will we save for all these changes coming? It's weird to think about, but so much can be spent, and you need to be wise in your finances, friends. But so much can be spent on heaping up things of this world that we often forget that those are things that will pass away. Those are things that are not coming with us. And Jonah, it took literally going to the depths to realize that no matter how far he ran away from the Lord, the greatest thing he has is the Lord himself. So we must remember the Lord is our Savior. Second thing, quickly in verse 9, we must honor the Lord with our service. Look back at verse 9. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, and I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Friends, this is a picture back of chapter 1 of those seamen who, who, who were crying out to every god. And remember, they came to Jonah and said, you cry out to your god, we'll cry out to ours. And finally, Jonah said, it's my god that's causing all this distress. Just throw me over. And two promises are made by Jonah to his God in verse 9. He will sacrifice with a voice of thanksgiving, and he will pay what he vowed. One cannot just simply, I think the point, friends, here is simply this. You cannot just simply let Jesus shine in your life. Whoa, I'm saved. Look at me. I got my Jesus flu shot. Woo! That's all I need. Friends, you bask in Christ and salvation, but know this. You must respond to his grace. Jesus, this is why that picture of Peter and Jesus and, and some of the disciples when they went to the mount, and you may remember the story where he was transfigured before them, and his glory shone around them, and they were at the top of the valley, or top of the mountain, and eventually Jesus took him down, and within a few days Christ was crucified and the disciples were scattered. Friends, we must remember that if we have salvation, not only are we not to keep it to ourselves, share it, talk about it, blast it out there for people with loving boldness, but you eventually at some time are going to have to remember as you go through the sinful world, you can't just stay in your holy huddle. When you go out into the world, the salvation is of the Lord is your guard and your promise of your heart and a world that wants to turn you from it. This is the key verse of the whole book. If you're an underliner, underline this verse. This is the, the thesis, the direction of the book. Salvation belongs to God, not any other source, not any other person. Salvation is not a church or friends, if I can be so bold, salvation is not a pope. Salvation is not a saint. Salvation is found only in one person and one person alone. It is found in Jesus Christ, no more, no less. Amen? And that is what we believe. Jonah has come to understand it's not his business who the Lord will or will not save. Jonah hated the Assyrians. He hated them with a passion. They were killing his people. But God said, it's not your call, Jonah, who's going to get saved. It's my call, and I'm telling you to go. And trust me, salvation is Job has offered to this world. He's offered it to the sailors. He now offers it again to Jonah in repentance, and he will offer it free to Nineveh next week in chapter 3. 
Jonah finally recognizes that he deserved death, not deliverance. He came to understand that he doesn't deserve salvation. It's an act of mercy by God. Psalm 119.67 says this, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your law. Friends, it may take some seriously hard times in your life and mine and for this church for us to realize and get our heart right, not just our head, that God is all that we need. It's a spiritual matter. Rescue from sin is. But lastly, we'll end here. Rescue from sin is a physical matter. Okay, you got your gross caps on. You got your, got your caps on. You ready? Got your bodysuits on? I hope you do. For three days and three nights, Jonah was in the stomach of an upset fish. For three days and three nights, he had been nauseated, nauseating rather, in the stomach of this fish. Finally, God granted him release. Look at verse 10. How many of you have the word vomit? How many have the word hurled? That's a word out there. I don't know what other words are out there, but friends, this is just what it means. And it could, in a more of a tame fashion, it doesn't really communicate what the Hebrew is communicating. It can, word, it can be vomit, it can be spew, it can be any of those things. But while Jonah had been thinking and praying, the fish had been swimming. Think about this. We can't be certain, but Jonah was somewhere out in the sea in the Mediterranean Sea. And in all likelihood, Jonah was vomited, spit up in Palestine back where he started or near where he started. God had brought him back to the very place he tried to run away, most likely. The dry land was now a place of safety and stability, but most importantly is a place of service. Friends, we can be delivered from our sin just the same. Salvation and deliverance is spiritual, but it's also physical. God cleanses our hearts, but he also prepares our feet and our hands for service. That's why you can't just bask in your Jesus light if you know Christ. It's not just about you and Jesus got your own thing going. It's about you with the church under God's command to go to serve him wherever he calls you. God does not save us simply to take us to heaven when we die, but God saves us for faithful service and obedience today. Hope you agree with that. And Jonah discovered once again it wasn't him seeking God, but God seeking him, as our big idea said. Okay, here you go. You got your body suits on? You ready for this? He was delivered from drowning, but he was in the pitch blackness of the belly of the whale. Gastric juices washed over him, burning his skin, burning his eyes, his throat, and his nostrils. Oxygen, though present because God kept him alive, was scarce at best. And each frantic gulp saturated his throat and lungs with salt water. If you've ever tasted salt water before, you know it's just not good. And the rancid smell of digested food was all about him. And, and guys, I'm just trying to be as real with you as I can. It perhaps caused him to throw up while he was in there. I don't know. But everything he touched had that slimy feel of mucous membrane that lined the stomach, and he felt claustrophobic. Do you have your body suits on? I hope you do. I, asked, I prepared you five minutes in advance. But with each term, he's slipping and sliding in the cesspool of digestive fluids. Friends, no footholds, no blankets, no get-out-of-easy-card-of-jail. This is the real deal. I'm serious. This is the real deal. I don't just say that for a reaction, but I just want you to see this last point. Megan, throw it up there. Friends, salvation costs you nothing, but discipleship costs you everything. If you know Jesus Christ, you, better, you may not have all the nasty stuff I just described going on in your life, but you better believe that God is going to take you through some murky, muddy, and often disgusting waters 
whether you're in sin or not, because he wants you to be more like him. Psalm 119.71, it was good for me to be afflicted so I might learn your decrees. God does not deliver us from our sin, but disciplines us when we sin. And his discipline can be uncomfortable, but if necessary, he will break us. He will break us. But praise God, Jonah experienced God's grace. Amen? Amen. Praise God, he experienced the grace in a way he never expected. And it is possible today that you are in some dark, slippery, distasteful place of his discipline. Friend, go to him. Run to him. Talk to him because he's the only one that will get you out of it. Jonah discovered, as we discover, that at any time we can pray, any time we can be certain, no matter how suffocating or severe the discipline may seem, that his grace is sufficient and our prayers will be heard and they are answered by a God whose salvation, whose business is salvation. If you need to be delivered today from your sin, rest assured there is a God who's in that salvation business. If you call, he will answer. If you look, he will save. If you cry out, he will be there. That is the God of the Bible. Salvation didn't begin, the big idea will say, with you deciding to seek God. Friends, we are nothing laced with sin, but laced with sin outside of Christ. But it began when he chose to seek us. Let me just read to you that intro I read to you. When, man, when a man catches a fish, it's not a big deal. Even though it's a big 150-pound catfish in Missouri River, when a fish catches a man, that's a big deal. However, there may be a big story in that, but it's not the best story. The best story is not a fish catching a man. It's the best story is God saving a man, a woman, a child, old, young, whatever. Friends, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ today. If you are here today and you do not know Christ, he died for your sin. He laid down his life perfectly in obedience to the Father's will. And he went on the cross, and it wasn't just an example. He died under, as we sang, the full wrath of God was absorbed so that when he was buried and rose again and we repent, we turn from our sin and believe in him, we might be saved. Friends, that is the hope of the gospel. That is the God we believe in. You say, Darren, that is not my God. I would challenge you to study the scriptures, friends. God is as loving as he is just. He's as faithful as he is merciful but all in balance, only perfectly that he can do. Friend, are you praying for someone today that needs Christ? Would you continue to pray? Maybe it will take God turning them inside out, upside down, for his glory, for them to see that only Christ is all they have. Let's go before the Lord in prayer today. Father, thank you.